you would open your Bibles to John chapter 12, and we'll read verse 27 through 43. In the Pew Bible, you'll find it on page 899. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, When we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever, how can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the world spoken, so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, for again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his holy word. I think if I were going to... Um, title this passage, or this sermon now, I think I would uh, title it, the, the Sermon That Did Not Want to Be Given, uh, with all the, the hurdles that uh, I've had to jump over this week, um, my uh, federal jury duty uh, ended after a week and a half uh, on Wednesday uh, afternoon. We concluded our business and, and rendered a verdict about five minutes before they were going to close the, the courthouse down. Otherwise, we'd have been back on Thursday. So that was the biggest impediment to this sermon uh, being preached. Uh, so finished with that, hopefully, for a good long while. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would... Um, Enlighten the eyes of our hearts by your Spirit, that we may be able to see Christ lifted up, that all hearts might be drawn to Him and uh, renewed 
and uh, made alive in Him, that uh, He would receive all glory, honor, and praise and adoration. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen. As the Gospel has faced growing indifference and even outright hostility here in our culture, many churches, even entire denominations, have revised the Gospel so that our culture will believe the church to be relevant uh, to the culture. And this amounts to the church taking its starting point with uh, modern culture's mentality and then reshaping the gospel to make it appealing to them. John Murray says, and he said this um, in the previous generation, but it is even more true today. He said, this is the capital sin of our generation. Taking the gospel, reshaping it to be appealing to modern men. The mainline churches that have reshaped the gospel have been hemorrhaging members. Uh, the membership has been going down steadily in those mainline denominations that, that have engaged in this. In trying to make themselves relevant to culture, they have lost the very thing, the only thing that attracts people to the church. Look at verse 32. Verse 32 is going to be um, central to uh, our thoughts this morning. And if you were not here last week, we, um, we looked at this, the very same uh, verses, verses 27 through 43, and really focused on verses 27 through 28, and then verses um, 36 through 41. But if you'll look at verse 32, Jesus said, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to Myself. The church only has one true attraction that will draw people to the church, and that is Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes, and you, I'm sure, know it uh, as well as I do, that that sometimes I'm not very self, uh, self-aware. I can be pretty clueless about many things. But of one thing I am sure, you are not congregated here this Sunday morning or any Sunday morning to come hear me speak. It's not because of me. You don't even come for the singing, as great as the choir sounds. It is for nothing else that you come here, congregate each, congregate here uh, each week, uh, for nothing else other than to hear about Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He alone is the attraction for which you are here. It is because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ that we that we gather, that we worship, that we give our offerings in the offering plate, and that we serve in the church. The church belongs to Jesus. And we love Him so much. We love Him because He, he loved us first, before we loved Him, and gave Himself for us. And so, 
It is our joy. It is our longing. And therefore we give our time. We give our money. We even give our lives that Christ might be magnified in His church. That Christ might be glorified among His people. That He might be exalted here in our congregation. And then we also long that He might be magnified and glorified and exalted in the world, the community around us. Just looking at this passage and what Christ has done for us, I bet we all will fall in love with Him again. So much has He done for us. So gracious has He been to us. You will remember from last week that Christ said in verse 27, Now my soul is troubled. And the reason why his soul was troubled was he was pondering his upcoming trip to the cross. Remember, he's um, Pentecost Sunday. And now less than a week, he's going to be making uh, his trip to the cross On that upcoming Friday, He is going to be hanging there, taking our sins upon Himself. And so His soul is troubled. But then look at verse 31. In verse 31, verse 27, Now my soul is troubled. And then in verse 31, He uses the word now again. And He uses it twice. Verse 31, Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. He uses this word now in verse 31 to link it to verse 27 to show us that um, what's happening in verse 27 and what's happening in verse 31 are all linked together. And what ties these nows together is Christ's trip to the cross. Christ is troubled deeply in His soul by the cross. But as we saw last week, even though He is troubled deeply, He embraces the cross. And He embraces it, verse 28 and 29, because He is intent on glorifying His Father. And also, He embraces the cross because He loves us so much. Because He knows that we will be eternally lost if He refuses to embrace the cross. And as a result of His embrace of the cross, Jesus says the world is being judged in verse 31. The judgment is not in the future. This judgment that He's speaking about is not after the world ends. Rather, He says this is happening now. And it is directly related to the cross. The day of judgment in a very real way, took place on the day that Jesus went to the cross. Christ knew our sins must be judged. So what did He do? He stepped in and inserted Himself between us and the judgment that we deserve. Our sins were judged. They were judged on the cross and they were condemned. But we were not condemned along with our along with our sins because Christ wore our sins on his body like a garment. 
He was condemned in our stead. His condemnation became our salvation. In this sense, Jesus brought the day of judgment into history. But instead instead of sitting on the judge's uh, bench, as I got to witness for this past week and a half, the judge sitting up there on his, on his bench issuing um, decrees, instead of Jesus sitting on His throne or on the judge's bench, He was hanging on the cross, condemned as a guilt offering. But at the very same time, that Christ, instead of sitting on the judge's bench, was hanging on the cross, there was a very real judgment that was taking place against the world that did not result in salvation. All who do not love and trust Jesus Christ have already been judged and stand condemned. Listen to John chapter 3. Verses 18 through 21. Jesus said, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment the light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their work for evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. That's John 3.18-21. Now this passage from John chapter 3 begs the question, do you love the light or do you love the darkness? Or to put it differently, do you love Christ or do you love the world? If you love Christ, you will eagerly and joyfully leave the attractions of the world. And we will come back to that at the end of the sermon. There's a third now that Jesus meant, or a second now that Jesus mentions in verse 31. It's the third now in our in our passage. He said, "Now the ruler of this world uh, will be cast out." It does not mean that Satan is completely and utterly removed from the world. He's still active in the world, but he is no longer the ruler of the world. He's been cast out as the ruler. See, before the cross, Satan held sway over the nations. He blinded the nations so that the gospel was not known beyond Israel. In uh, the book of Revelation, it talks about Satan being bound in order that he would deceive the nations no longer. And so Christ has cast Satan out as the ruler of the world so that the nations will be deceived no longer. Before Christ removed Satan as the rule of the world, all the nations, except for that tiny remnant in Israel, all the nations were condemned and going wholesale into condemnation. It's an overwhelming thought to think 
that except for that tiny remnant in Israel, by and large, the nations were falling over the cliff into eternal condemnation year after year, century after century, millennia after millennia. And Jesus Christ came. And He says, Now the ruler of the world will be cast out. Christ cast him out from his position as the ruler of the world. What does that mean for us? Well, it means that by and large, most of us here in this room, um, most of us were born as Gentiles, separate from the nation of Israel. But here we are, worshiping Christ. We've heard the gospel. We believe the Gospel. Why do we believe? Because of Christ. He has removed and cast out Satan as the ruler of this world so that we would be deceived no longer. Christ, by embracing the cross, has removed Satan as an impediment to our faith. So here's the thrust of verse 31 and the two nows that we see here. Christ has removed all impediments outside of ourselves so that nothing can hinder us from embracing Him. He embraced the cross so that we might embrace Him. But we still have impediments. We have great impediments. We have impediments inside ourselves. The Bible says, and we read it from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1-3, through 3, we're dead in our sins. The Bible says we cannot understand the things of the Spirit unless we have the Spirit of God. We saw that last week. Ephesians, uh, I'm sorry, not Ephesians, 1 Corinthians uh, 2.14. We cannot understand the things of the Spirit for they are spiritually discerned. The Bible also says that we love ruling our own lives so much that we despise God's lordship over our lives. The Bible also says we are so willingly rebellious that we are unwilling and unable to come to Christ that we might entrust ourselves to Him. So we have a lot of impediments inside ourselves. Verse 32 tells us how Christ removes those impediments that are inside us. He removed all impediments by allowing Himself to be lifted up. So verse 32, I've already read it. It bears reading again. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to Myself. First of all, I want you to note that uh, there's an unusual word for lifting up. Uh, here. It's not the usual word for lifting up like if a man was going to lift up a, a box or a couple of men were going to lift up a box. That would be one word, but this is a different word. Uh, the, the word lift up here has the sense of raising up or exalting. And so Christ lifting up is an exaltation. This is the only uh, time this word is used in the, the New Testament. The lifting up here that Christ is referring to is His body being lifted up 
from the earth to be hung upon the cross. The people to whom he was speaking, somehow, some way, they understand this, I assume, because we are only getting a bare outline of Jesus' sermon. Uh, that he must have explained this in, in detail to them, that he being lifted up meant that he was going to be hung on a cross. They understand it um, as a reference to the cross, and so they begin rebuking him. Look at verse 34. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? And so Christ is saying that He's going to be lifted up on a cross. The cross is a symbol of shame. The cross is a symbol of guilt because you weren't, you didn't go to the cross unless you were found guilty and the Roman um, governor sent you there. So it's a symbol of guilt, symbol of shame. It's also a symbol of horror. We talked about uh, on Easter Sunday what it meant to hang on that cross and how the, the nails you had to, in order to have uh, air in your lungs, you had to push up on those nails that had been nailed through your feet. And how agonizing, how horrifying the cross really is. But instead of seeing the shame, Instead of uh, focusing on the, the guilt and the horror, Christ sees the symbol of the cross as a symbol of exaltation. I love what Spurgeon says. He says, Christ won love more abundantly by the nail than the scepter. Of course, the scepter is the king with the, the mighty rod to rule over his people. Love me. Is what the king might say. Obey me. But Spurgeon says, He won our love more abundantly by the nail that was nailed in His wrist and His feet than by His scepter. Spurgeon went on, He was never so lifted up as when He was cast down. And the Christian will bear witness that though He loves His Master anywhere, Yet nothing moves his heart to rapture and vehemence of love like the story of the crucifixion and the agonies of Calvary. Are you with me on this? Do you understand? I'm sure you do. You hear about the cross. You hear about Christ going to the cross. You hear about His suffering in your behalf. You hear about His love for you on the cross. You hear about when He cried out, It is finished! saying all your sins had been paid for and your heart is drawn out to Him in love. That which was His shame was His exaltation. I say Christ removed all our inward impediments because the passage says that Christ will draw us to Himself. We've got impediments. We're dead in our sins. We don't like God because we love ourselves so much. And yet in spite of that, Christ is going to draw all peoples to Himself. We are our own impediment to loving and trusting Christ. In spite of us, He draws us to Himself. 
The word draw here is the same word that's used in John 6.44 where Jesus says, No one can come to Me unless the Father who sent Me draws him. The word for draw is the word used for drawing water out of a well in a bucket. The bucket cannot lift itself. It must be drawn. And here's the beauty. Christ, by being lifted up from the earth on the cross, is able to lift us up by drawing us to Himself. This is why I titled the sermon, The Gospel Magnet. And this is where I had planned to insert uh, a clever magnet illustration. I got to thinking about the gospel magnet. I thought I should understand something about the science of magnetism. I studied it all out. Well, we've got a Ph.D. in physics in our congregation. I called him up and quizzed him. And we came up with an illustration for um, with magnets and stuff like this. And I just could not pull it together. I'm real excited about it. But um, the point here is Christ lifted up from the earth and He draws us to Himself and is seemingly imperceptible. We don't see any ropes by which Christ is drawing us up. We don't see the work of the Spirit to quote Jesus in John chapter 3. The Spirit blows where it, uh, where it wills. We, we see the results, but we don't see it in operation. Um, so we, but this, this drawing, this power that draws us to Christ is the most powerful power that the world has ever known. You take 25 hydrogen bombs, combine them together, and there's nothing compared to this, this power that, uh, that God has, is drawing us with through the Gospel, uh, that is drawing us with through Jesus Christ. It's able to break the greatest resistance. No matter who you are, and let me encourage you, some of you have real hard-hearted friends, real hard-hearted uh, relatives. Some of you have been praying for spouses, for friends, for neighbors, for, for relatives for many years. The Gospel is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. Nothing's more powerful than the Gospel. How does Christ draw us to Himself? This power causes us, it creates dependence upon Christ and simultaneously also produces in us a love that causes us uh, or that, that overwhelms us with a love that is greater than our love for anything else. It's a love that causes you to drop your insistent self-centered lordship so that you can fully and completely embrace Jesus Christ as your Savior. And then lastly, and I'm going to finish with this uh, point, and it will be brief. It says here in the passage in verse 32, When I am lifted up from the earth, when you are drawn to Christ, 
by necessity, since He's been lifted up from the earth. What does this mean for you? It means you too will be lifted up from the earth. You'll be lifted up from your worldliness. Up from living your life for the things of this life. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15-17. through 17. John says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. When you are drawn to Christ, you are, drawn, you are lifted up from this world by necessity. You want to know what faith looks like that is still rooted in the earth, still rooted in the world? Did you know that there can't, there is really a faith that is a worldly faith? You want to know what it looks like? Look at verses 42 and 43. It says, Nevertheless, even many of the authorities, the religious authorities, um, believed in Him, but for the fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not put be put out of the synagogue. Left right there, you're thinking, okay, maybe they're Christians, maybe they're not. Verse 43, For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. That's faith in Christ that is worldly. Their faith was in Christ. But it was still rooted on the earth. Still rooted in the world. Still rooted in the glory of man. In other words, their faith was a false faith. It was a sham. I know in their hearts they truly believed that Christ was the Messiah. But they were unwilling to give up the glory of man. And this is where Many people who confess Christ find themselves. They trust in Him in one sense, but their feet are, are firmly rooted on the earth. Firmly rooted in the love of worldly things. Firmly rooted in the glory of man. Where are you? What is your faith? Jesus said in John 7, 21-23, Not everyone who says to Me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of My Father who is in heaven. Many will say to Me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in Your name and do many wonderful uh, and cast out demons and even do many wonderful works in Your name? And Jesus... Because He hung on the cross and the day of judgment was there on the cross, He will also be at the end of history on the judge's bench. And He will tell them, and in Jesus, quoting Jesus directly, I will tell them very plainly, I never knew you. 
depart from me, you workers of iniquity. They cried out, Lord, Lord, they had a faith in Christ. Why did they not believe? Why were they cast off? Why did Jesus never know them? Because they were not lifted up from the earth when Jesus was drawing. They, their feet were firmly planted in the world. I know I'm going over, but I'm going to plead with you. If you love the world, your faith is not real. Flee to Jesus. Be drawn to Him. And make sure that your feet, that your whole self is drawn to Him. Don't, don't have a sham faith by loving this world. Faith in Christ always lifts you to where He is. Let's pray together. Father, I thank You that You sent the Lord Jesus and that He was He consented willingly to be lifted up on that cross, which for Him was His exaltation. And I thank You that He did this, that He might draw all people to Himself. Lord, draw us all to the Lord Jesus. Renew our faith. Renew our love in Him. And Lord, if there are any who have a faith that is not really a faith, give them a true faith, a longing and a love for Jesus Christ that will help them to, to let go of this world. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.